What's going on, folks? Here we are at the beginning of the podcast, and I just wanted to uh, give you guys a brief announcement. Got something pretty cool planned out for uh, the Duck Gun Podcast. We're going to be doing a bracket challenge for March Madness. I'm I'm pretty bitter right now, definitely bitter, because IU's not going to be in the tournament. There's just no way. They haven't announced the teams yet, but there's just, there's just no way, man. They've had such a terrible year. Um, but I'm a huge fan of basketball. Love watching March Madness. Um, and so we're going to be doing a bracket challenge for the podcast. So here are the details. We're definitely going to be giving a prize away to the winner, whoever has the best bracket at the end of it. Um, you're going to get a $100 gift card. So um, we'll be in contact with you once you win it, and we'll let you kind of pick where you want to get it from. I don't have anything specific picked out as far as the gift card. You know, it could, could be Cabela's, Bass Pro. Um, it could be a gas card, whatever you want, man. Um, it's going to be a gift card for winning the bracket challenge. So the details, how to enter it, um, jump over to the fellowship of the duck gun. That's where we're going to post the info. Um, we'll probably post it on our Facebook page as well. Duck Gun Chronicles and freelance duck hunting. That way you guys can find it pretty easy. Um, but to enter, to enter this, you're going to have to share a podcast episode on Facebook or social media somewhere. Show us that you did it, and then that way when you enter, um, you're able to win the prize. So um, that's what we got going, guys. Super excited for March Madness. Here we go, and having a little bit of fun getting everybody together to do the brackets. So um, stay tuned for that, guys. Check it out. It'll be up right now. You can go You can go. Sign up for that right now as you're hearing this um, podcast. So anyways, let's go ahead and jump to the podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us for another podcast. Got Elliot with me. We're about to kick this thing off, but stay tuned. We got an awesome guest for tonight. We got Matt, the Alaskan Viking. We actually just got off the call with him, and you know, Elliot kind of said the best. Some of his crazy stories, it's like, that's why he can be called the Alaskan Viking because yeah, <laughs> if you can stay out in the bush for what I can't remember what he said ten thirteen days, um, by yourself solo, man, you're just yeah. you're just about as crazy as it gets. So I, I don't mean crazy in like the uh, a negative way. <laughs> so yeah, it's exciting. Manly man, manly prehistoric man. manly man. Yeah, right, like a wild man to be able to do something like that because it's like we're rare that if you take like the entire population of men and I'm just isolating the men because that's most of the hunters we're we're rare for being willing to go out and solo hunt really like go out in the dark by yourself I've spent the night alone out duck hunting by myself and that's a rare thing Mm -hmm. but then you take it to the next level of getting like that story I'm not going to tease it too much that story he tells us about 10 days turning into 13 in Alaska by yourself. And that, the, you know, thinking there's a bear outside your tent. And I mean, I'm not joking that reaction of his, I don't, I mean, I would think I would like to think I would do the same thing. Okay. <laughs> that if, if I thought a bear was right out my side of the tent, I'd be like, Hey, if I'm going down, I'm going down and you go out the door to meet the bear. Right. Yeah. But I might also be quivering in my sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> you just, <laughs> just cover up with the blankets and just, to stay awake all night and then finally you peek out and look out and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe maybe it's like well you know make myself a little nice packaged delight for this bear inside the tent but yeah that was a great story and and 
a great guest, man. And Alaska is intriguing state, is it not? Yep. Oh, yeah. So, a little podcast update. So, I put this on the Fellowship of the Duck Gun. Um, we got some duck gun barrel decals, barrel stickers, just stickers in general, or decals in general. You you don't have to put them on your barrel. I know that's not for everybody. Put it on your cooler, whatever. But I found we did a, we did something in the past. I found like thirty four. Um, you know, a lot of them are already gone because it's just first come first first served on these. Guys, put a review on the podcast. Take a picture of it. Email it to me, Duck Gun Chronicles. And whoever does this first, I'm going to send the remainder of them, you know, one by one to each, like one per person is what I mean. Um, so if you if you want a Duck Gun podcast decal, I will send it your way. Just make sure you review the podcast. Email me. Um, I want to let you guys know on that as well. So, Ellie, what, what are you raising your hand for? I want one. <laughs> Did you review the podcast? I've been requesting. Yes, I, I'm pretty sure I have. I don't think and I so. I know that I, I've I've been requesting one for like I need to see a long time. I need to see your review. Can you email me a picture of? You? <laughs> <laughs> of I you? have to go to that link because they're black. That's what I want. I want a black duck gun podcast barrel sticker. Okay. I don't. I wouldn't. I don't think um, I would put a white one on there. Um, but I, I definitely would like to put black on black on my barrel. And I know I've been asking them for a while now and. <laughs> it's very they're very I'm, hard to come by let's just say that right they hard, are. hard to get hold of i'm sorry i'm i'm terrible about that kind of stuff um but i will i will send you one i promise okay <laughs> mm. that patch it up for us <laughs> yeah yeah awesome i'd like one uh so so what else have you been up to you know you got any kind of just general yeah. updates i know we're kind of in the full swing yes. of, of uh off season now this weekend, this is the freelance duck hunting reunion weekend. This is the first time that all of us, all of there's like a core, like who I consider the full scale FDH crew, not not including my boys because they, you know, but like Fumbles, uh, Aiden, Corn, Dan, and myself, we're all going on a camping weekend, and this is the first time it's been all of us. Yeah, since like this is season six, since like season two, maybe. I think we were, so it's been like four years. And so we're going on a camp weekend and we're going to do some snow goose hunting. We've got Saturday and Sunday. Now, traditionally, the way I like to do it is I like to stock them. They get in by the thousands around the marsh and you got big phragmites and you got cattails. And so I, I consider it more of like, I want to get as close to all these snow geese as possible and watch them for a long time because they're incredible to watch from close distances. And then get one fantastic pass right over your head where it's deafening loud and you're at 20 yards, you've got 50,000 geese over you and unload my gun on them and shoot, you know, six or seven to 10 to 13 on that pass out of the group. That's a success. But we all, we may actually, Aiden's got about six, seven, eight, I don't know, he may be up to 900 snow goose decoys. And so we may end up in a field on, on Sunday as well. But just like this, this season, as far as weather, Jordan, has been magical. I was actually talking to um, the Alaskan Viking about this while you were going and doing something. It's like most people in, in the Midwest have not didn't have that great a hunting season, but we hit the weather fronts right every single time, it seemed like. We would go out, we would go for a weekend, and boom, we'd hit that weather right. It was just perfect. This is lining up exactly like that. People are, who, The word I'm getting is this weekend is going to be peak – Snow goose migration numbers where we're going. It's like 
nail on the head. The next five days is like perfect. So, and with all the crew there, and I can't, I cannot even begin to tell you how excited I am. I'm going to, I'm going to be, I, I'm going to come out of here with so much video content that I have to sort through because I want to get lots of conversations, lots of everything. And so I'm definitely going to make a video of that. Lots of content going to Patreon on it, but I'm just, I'm giddy. I've been so excited all week just waiting for this trip, camping and with all the guys and the snow geese. And there's going to be, I'm telling you, there's going to be pintails with sprigs 10 feet long. This, <laughs> when you go, when you go on these weekends in the spring, the pintails, all the ducks are, all the ducks are, but the pintails, my gosh, they are as beautiful as you will ever see them. And they're dumb because they're not being shot at. So it's just going to be a fantastic weekend. I don't care if I shoot a snow goose or not, honestly. Uh, we're going to see a ton. We're going to see wildlife. We're going to be hanging out. We're going to be sleeping in a tent. We're going to be barbecuing. Danny boy's like, I'm bringing two huge meals. He's like, I don't know what Danny's deal is. He, He's like excited to be back on these trips again. He's coming back at full force. Awesome. I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm that's pumped. that's awesome. And, you know, if we asked you a year ago, you probably wouldn't say that you thought that this reunion would happen. So definitely excited. No. Excited for you. Excited to to see the content on that. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully you get some birds too and, and kind of put the the icing on the on the cake for, for that uh, whole a- adventure. <laughs> I think so too. La- Aiden was down there last weekend and he had a decoy spread out around this certain pond. Um, the same one they took Titus and your dad to actually. And they shot 12 one day and 13 the next, which, Dang. you know, I mean, that's not putting a pile of 100, but that's a fun day. Yeah, right? that's fun. Yeah. So, and and this migration should be a, a lot better um, than last weekend. And on on the Dan side of things, for those of you that don't know, that watch my freelance duck hunting videos on YouTube, Dan was one of the central figures of my videos in season one and two. Just one of the most unique individuals that you'll meet. Just always saying funny stuff. Always just a crazy, not in that way. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it, but just. A very, very loud personality. And then all of a sudden, he got this weird tick disease, couldn't eat red meat, and was just done. He didn't hunt for three, four years. And I didn't know if he would ever hunt again. Mm. And all of a sudden, he's wanting to go all the time. So it's a blessing for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Well, the updates I got, you know, I've just started working on the bus, starting to gut it. You know, having some issues <laughs> running into just taking the rivets off, man. There's like a thousand rivets in there. Everything's held together by rivets. Mm. So gutting this thing is going to be a beast of a deal to get done. I mean, whew. yeah, I saw so, that video where you're like, man, I tried this. I tried that. I tried this. I tried that. I was like, man, I would have been frustrated to get those yeah. rivets out, man. Yeah, <laughs> That seemed painful. Oh, well, I got, I think I got it figured out now. I got a grinder, like one of those hand grinders, just grind the, mm-hmm. the top of the rivet off. I mean, it's still, it's like, like with a thousand rivets, it's going to take a long time. So, oh, well, I did have somebody reach out to me on social media and they're, and they're saying that they could, cause I put it up on my stories that they could uh, Mm -hmm. help me if I, if I took the bus over to their shop. So I don't know if I'll do do that or not. (laughs) Do it. I might do it. That's a huge project, man. Any, if you can get help along the way, go for it. I mean, obviously you don't want someone else to do it for you because that's part of the fun, but yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, I got to be careful about how I. I guess, make the content. So, you know, you got a vision in your head of how you're going to do it all. So anytime Mm -hmm. there's any direction change in the plan, you know, I got to think about it and make sure it makes sense. So, uh, but you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's that. I think I'm just going to have bus updates probably for, for most of the off season this year. 
Um, but yeah, besides that off season, you know, I started cleaning the garage. There's not a whole lot going on. Um, as far as the waterfall front, but you know, let's go ahead, get a quick word from our partners and we'll go ahead and get the Alaskan Viking on the line. So, uh, first off, like to give a big thanks out to motion duck decoys or motion duck decoy spreader. Sorry, said the name wrong. (laughs) Um, awesome product. Uh, perfect for those no wind days sets up, takes down in, in just, just as quick as you can do it, you know, just a minute. Um, Ellie and I have been using the product now for two seasons and we're loving it. We ain't, we ain't going, we ain't going back to not using it. I tell you that right now, put so many ripples, lifelike motion in your set. There's no wind days. If you don't have it, you're going to be mad at yourself for not bringing it. So, uh, definitely check those guys out. Motionduckdecoys.com. Get yourself either the single spread or the, the normal spreader, the original. Um, I don't even know if it's the original, but the four duck spreader, or the ultimate, which has an option to have seven ducks on the spreader. Um, that's my personal favorite. Uh, check them out. Code is Go to Duck Gun twenty twenty for ten percent off and free shipping. Guys, off season. Go to Banded and from there you can access Banded, Avery, GHG, Avery Sporting Dog. So I already started my list. I officially created my spreadsheet. I just think it's like. With everything, anticipation <laughs> is part of the fun of whether you buy something or whether you're on a duck hunt or whatever. So I've started the anticipation of what I might want in the off season. And so I started my list. And so on my list so far, I've got, I want to pick up another dog parker for Georgie. I want the Northwind Nano Primasoft jacket, which I think you might have, Jordan. Um, I want the insulated bibs, which I know you've got those because I made you try them on. I don't know if I made you try but you had them on on the flyways, <laughs> and I was, and then the uh, some of the Aspire um, breathable waders. So I've already started my list. You guys just got to go and just banner.com, look around, make a wish list. I, I probably won't end up with all that stuff, but it sure is fun daydreaming about up, upgrading your equipment off season. Um, I I just encourage you to go. Their equipment is really really high quality, and um, Jordan and I both just. Ever since we started wearing it, we are just raving about it. So banded.com, go check it out. Awesome. You know, I will say a quick word about those uh, um, insulated bibs. You know, I, I wasn't a bib guy. I always thought bibs kind of looked a little goofy. And I see all these people wearing bibs, and I'm like, man, it just looks like snow gear from when I was a kid. And <laughs> and so, like, uh, I, I always wore, like, the hunting pants. But, man, after wearing bibs, I will never go back. And honestly, their bibs look pretty cool. So <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. That's the thing. You you put on those hunting bibs. Um, this yeah, I'm never going back to just hunting pants. Like I have hunting pants as well this year. I think I wore them once, and I wore the bibs like all the time. So so you um, wore your bibs under your uninsulated banded waders, right? I did some. I did some, but even not all, not all the time. If it was super cold, I did. But um, yeah. you know, but just like field hunts or just. Man, anytime, anytime I could, mm-hmm. I, I was wearing them uh, for sure. So once once you go bibs, you're not going back to hunting pants. I'll tell you that. I also like to give a big thanks to OnX. Um, you guys, check out their app on phone, whether it's Android, iPhone, um, or their web application as well. It it all connects. They they talk to each other. So if you put waypoints on your phone or waypoints on the PC, um, they'll pop up on either one when you jump over to the other one. I'm on that all the time, scouting out spots here in the off season. Perfect example of that. If I'm uh, if I'm 
smallmouth fishing, I'm floating a river, you know, certain little points or access locations, you can pin that right on right on your Onyx and be good to go. There's so many color options, you know, to put different different um, reminders. You know, I use the colors uh, to show different things. I really need to do a full video on it because my system is insane what I, what I got on Onyx. Um, but, I mean, I say this every time I talk about Onyx. If someone in your area is using Onyx and you're not, and you need to get permission for the birds, you need to figure out if you can hunt that place on public land, you're going to be at a complete disadvantage to them. And, I mean, whether we like it or not, we talk about the competition. We need to be on top of our A game, uh, you know, throughout the season. Make sure you get the birds. So check them out. Onyx, you won't regret it. Now, guys, if uh, if you listen to the most recent podcast where Jordan was talking about this ninja mouse that he has, <laughs> Jordan has an ongoing saga that I think Jordan actually caught that sucker. And and Jordan put a post today today about what's going on with that mouse slash rat. I saw that picture and I was like, I think that maybe that is a rat. That tail <laughs> looked like a rat. But he's putting little information about that over on Patreon. If you love the podcast and you like our videos and you want to connect with us on a personal level and help support what we're doing, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. That's patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting, where you can go and help Jordan keep doing what we're doing, get extra content, hear about the Ninja Mouse, see videos of the Ninja Rat. I'm calling the Ninja Rat right now. <laughs> and bonus, like I said, bonus videos. There's so much is going on over there. Check that out. And join us for some bonus stuff over on on that site. Awesome. All righty. Let's go ahead and jump into the main part of the podcast. Hey, guys. I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host alongside me, Elliot, the ductator from Freelance Duck Hunting. And our guest tonight is Matt, the Alaskan Viking. How are you doing tonight, Matt? I am doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, you know, postseason depression really hasn't kicked in too much yet, so uh, I think I can still say that for a little while, hopefully. Um, <laughs> and you know, spring's about spring's just around the corner, so I think I'm I'm doing pretty good. Um, definitely, yeah. definitely excited. Um, we got you on. We've been actually talking for a while. Um, I've been in the back of my mind. I knew I wanted you on for the podcast. For a while, but we've been talking for a while about other things. So um, I'm excited that we got you on. We got um, some awesome topics. We talked about it earlier. Some of the topics we got some awesome topics we're going to cover tonight. Um, all about Alaska. So um, I'm excited for that. Absolutely, I'm excited to to uh, let it out there. So awesome. Well, um, you know. I guess let's go ahead and jump jump right into it. Jump into uh, the the juicy details, you know. Um, so I guess let's start with uh, you know how did you get into waterfowl hunting um, growing up? Well, uh, I grew up. I actually was raised in in Montana, and that's where a lot of 
um, my hunting started. Um, waterfowl hunting just happened to be um, one of the first ones I, I I got into because of the fact that you only had to be 16 to do it um, by yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have, my parents didn't hunt. Um, I had my aunt and uncle, they, they did a lot of hunting, but they were off doing their own thing. And so I just fell into duck hunting and, you know, fell in love with it. And so Montana was where it all started for me, you know, chasing ducks down rivers and, and ponds and, and it just became an obsession. Awesome. So kind of, you know, kind of starting off, it sounds like 16, were you, were you kind of doing solo adventures? You going on your own or, or what was, yeah, the... I had, yeah, I, I feel, I feel like, you know, the people now they have YouTube to watch. They have videos to watch. I had the back of a Primos card that told you kind of how to use the call. <laughs> there were there weren't videos of how to do this. You know, there was Field and Stream magazine, Ducks Unlimited magazine, and that's all I had to do. You know, that's all I had in order to learn how you know how to waterfowl hunt. So it was it was a real learning curve for me when I was when I was younger um, to learn how to do it. It took me. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I'm not ashamed of it. It took me two years to finally shoot a duck because I had zero knowledge of chokes. I had zero knowledge of how much to lead them. I had zero knowledge of, of anything. I was completely green. But once I got it figured out, man, it just snowballed out of control. And it was, it's, it's been, you know, awesome ever since. So would you, would you consider waterfowling your number one, pursuit because i know you do a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about but is waterfowling your number one game or is that just one of the many pursuits for you i would say whatever's in season is my number one at the time i I love all of it there's not just one thing you know waterfowl is a huge passion of mine but you know trapping is a huge passion of mine Um, moose hunting is a huge passion of mine i uh, i'm i'm addicted to all of it (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty, honestly, it's a pretty similar story to me. I'm getting started off rough beginnings. Um, just kind of winging it and figuring it out and it can be, it can be difficult and it's awesome. You know, the kind of to see that we have, um, resources out there where new hunters can kind of pick it up nowadays compared to, com- compared to back in the day. Cause at least I had, um, I had YouTube videos and kind of funny story on, along those those lines, you know, I, I was actually watching Elliot's videos when I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to try to figure stuff out. So I was uh, mentoring little Jordan without even knowing it. Yeah. It's pretty funny, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, so, um, Montana, you know, definitely a bucket list state, another one for me, but you kind of even one, one up it when you, uh, moved on out of there. So why did, I guess, what was the decision behind, moving from Montana to Alaska? Well, uh, as I was, you know, growing up and going through high school, my aunt and my uncle who, you know, hunted and fished all over the place used to come up to Alaska, um, every fall and, you know, go moose hunting and salmon fishing. And they'd come back with all these pictures and stories about how wild Alaska is. And so after I graduated high school, um, 
I recontacted with a buddy of mine that we grew up together where we were younger and he just happened to be in Alaska. And so I graduated high school and, um, I wasn't doing anything. I was actually, <laughs> I was working as a tele, uh, telemarketer. <laughs> Don't judge. <laughs> <me. laughs> and, uh, I really wasn't doing anything. I didn't have any, I didn't have a path to travel. I didn't, I didn't have any plans of where to go, what to do. And so I called him one day just out of the blue to see what he was doing. And he's like, well, like I could get you a job up here cutting meat. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not shy. I'm, I'm a quick learner. Um, I can cut meat. That's not a big deal. So, uh, two days later I had a plane ticket. I told my mom, I was like, well, uh, I'm leaving. I'm going to Alaska. And she didn't believe me at first. She'd kind of like, okay, Matt, go, you know, go, go play. <laughs> and when it time, when it came time for me to fly out, I got her up at five in the morning. And I said, mom, I need a ride to the airport. And she's like, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'm going to Alaska. I told you I'm, I'm leaving. And you know, the, the tears started. Oh my goodness. I can't believe you're doing that. Oh my, I thought you were joking. And all that. I was like, I got my guns and my clothes. I need to go to the airport. <laughs> and so that's pretty much how I got to Alaska. Landed here and started working. And I've been here ever since. So what what age did you say that was? I was 19. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's definitely one way to do it. Just pick up and leave. Um, did you? So did you just like move in with your buddy? Or I guess how was uh, kind of getting <clears throat> yeah. started? Yeah, I moved in with him um, in this little tiny cabin and uh, lived with him and uh, started working. And before I knew it, you know, a year or so later, I was running the meat department. I was the manager of the meat department. And so um, I just pretty much hit the ground running and started figuring out Alaska and fell in love with trapping right off, right out of the gate and couldn't figure out, you know, why I didn't do it earlier. but. Um, just trying to, you know, get things figured out as far as being in a new place, which is pretty challenging because Alaska is definitely daunting when it, when it comes to the size of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing. That's, that's definitely a, a crazy part of it. You know, huge, huge state, but, um, small population. So, um, yeah, I, I go ahead. I, I think Alaska, I think Alaska's only got like, like 730,000 people I think population or mm. somewhere in that area. Wow. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wow. <laughs> I, have, I have no yeah. idea, but that, yeah, and that's crazy. Like the, yeah. And the square miles, the, the area is like, I don't know, like 600, like 665,000. Yeah. That's, so like, what part of Alaska, what part of Alaska are you in? I'm in the interior. What's called the interior. I'm almost, okay like right in the middle of Alaska. Okay. Mm. So as far as like, you know, obviously I think everybody knows the, the major city out there. Now I can't think of it, the name of it. Uh, Anchorage. <laughs> Anchorage. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, is that the largest city out there? Uh, I believe it's pretty close. If not it. Okay. So the capital, um, the capital is Juneau. Yeah. So is that a, is that larger or right in there? You know, I I don't know <laughs> that off the top of my head. That's fine. <laughs> um, so I but guess I know. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so as far as so as far as Alaska, kind of, kind of, I'm trying to get a whole grasp on like the whole state. Obviously, I haven't been there. I've seen it on a map. I've seen like TV shows, like the Alaskan Bush people, people, or or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and obviously, you can't. You got to take those type of shows probably with a grain of salt. But um, you know, Alaska just seems like a, a crazy, a crazy place. Um, you know, as far as just if you can explain. Alaska, like in, in like a, you know, like in a few sentences, like how would you describe Alaska? Uh, wild, scary. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alaska is one of the few places where you can truly, if you go in a direction, you can feel alone. You know that there's nobody within, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 miles of you. So is it, I mean, is it that different from like living in Montana? Like just as far yeah. as? How hands down, are hands and, down, different. Okay, yeah. And how you have no, to? No, it is. It is not. It's like Montana on crack. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Montana. You know, I, I'm spoiled up here. You know, every you get like example, you hunt like in Montana, and you're on a river, and you've got somebody you know, 200 yards down from you, you know, hunting alongside you. That's acceptable. Everybody's all you know. Okay, you know, they're you know. If that happened here, I'd be like devastated. <laughs> I'm so used to having everything like to myself because there's so much, there's so many places to go that there's, you know, most times there's not a whole lot of competition. Hmm. But wow, that'd be so awesome. It's, yeah. And it's, so I'm, I'm kind of spoiled in that aspect. Sometimes it can get pretty ridiculous, but for the most part, if you get out there, you're, you're pretty much alone. So are there, tell me about the mountains in Alaska. Cause the Alaska is so huge and we all get our preconceived notions. Like when people think of Kansas, they think of completely flat, which it's not all that yeah. way. And so when I think of Alaska, I think of mountains and I think of ocean, like, you know, bays and stuff. And I know Alaska is massive. So you're a long ways from the oceans. What about the mountain ranges? Uh, are you, is the mountains cover Alaska or just a part of Alaska? No, there's, there's a couple mountain ranges. I think there's like three mountain ranges. I don't know exactly, but there's, it's kind of, you got the Brooks range, which is a huge mountain range, huge mountain range. They, they're amazing, beautiful. And, you know, they always got snow on them. Um, then there's rolling mountains, there's wetlands, there's river bottoms, there's tundra, there's, there's everything. There's, you know, heavy forested uh, areas. There's, other areas, like I said, are just, you know, tundra and flat and muskeg and swamps. And it's, 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 there's a lot here. <laughs> Can you visibly see mountains from where you live? Yes. I'm surrounded by mountains. Okay. You're surrounded by mountains and mountains that are above timberline? Yes. Okay. So if I drive, if I drive, I don't know, 30, 30 miles south i'm i'm in the mountains where there's no trees at all okay it's just like and huge tundra mountains yeah and is most of that public open yes all of it is so where you're at you can pretty much everything around you is public for the most part yeah wow yep it's either it's either federal or or public Mm mm-hmm 
So it's like the only private land, pretty much just uh, like people's personal dwellings. Yep. Or, there's yep. not like big ranches or anything like that in Texas. It's just wide open spaces no. and you can walk anywhere you want and hunt. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's, it's, it's pretty well, it's, it's pretty open. Yeah. That's phenomenal. <laughs> so can we, I'm, Jordan, I don't know what's on the list. I can't wait to just dive into the duck hunting in his area, but <laughs> keep, keep me off that until you want to talk about it. No, we can. Yeah. Let's, let's just, we'll hit up the lightning round and we'll jump right to kind of talking about his waterfowl season. So lightning round, quick questions, quick answers helps us to uh, get to know you a little bit better as a duck hunter. So let's jump on into it. Um, first off, what gun do you shoot? I shoot a Stoger M3500. And what, what kind of ammo do you run? Rio. Love the Rio. Three inch number four shot. Is that for ducks and <laughs> geese? Yep. I use it for everything. Crane, nice. geese, ducks. It, it brings them all to the floor. Awesome. And then do you have uh, a favorite type of um, habitat habitat or terrain to hunt for waterfowl? Uh, you know, I don't. I I love it all. If there's if it's a, a barley field that's been cut and you're hunting ducks in, in barley or a cut field, that's, that's cool. If it's a swamp, I love it. If it's a pond, I love it. If it's in the ocean, you know, it's, as long as there's birds flying, I, could, I don't really care where I'm at. Do you have a preference on sea ducks, uh, puddle ducks, or divers, or cranes, or swans, or <laughs> anything you can hunt out there? <laughs> you know, I, 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 this, or, uh, this, this last season was the first time I ever went um, brant hunting uh, out in Cold Bay at Cold Bay Adventure Lodge, and I'm telling you, I think that might be my new favorite. You're only allowed to shoot two of them, so it makes a hunt pretty quick. But the birds are in there by the tens of thousands, and it'll blow your mind. It's crazy. Yeah. So I think I think that's my new fave. And they taste phenomenal, too. I, they're almost – it's almost, I can, I'll, I'll compare it to a tenderloin steak. Hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll go as far as – I'll say that. Because, awesome. yeah, I loved them. They were, they were so delicious. I just actually – I just finished um, eating the last of them yes, uh, two days ago. Yeah, that's a uh, definitely. I saw that on your channel. That's a <laughs> or or your content, I should say. Um, definitely, I have not tried one yet, so I'm I'm putting that in the bucket list as well. Getting on getting it's, on some it's cranes. A must. Awesome. No, that was Brant, not Crane. Oh, Brant. I thought for some yeah, reason. Okay. the Pacific Brant. Brant, yeah. huh? Now I have cranes not heard aren't that. bad. Cranes aren't bad, but they're, I don't think they're as good as everybody says they are. Okay. In my opinion. Wow. Well, I will put Brant on my bucket list too. <laughs> <laughs> bucket list is growing. <laughs> All righty. Well, let's go ahead. Let's talk about um, a tip, a typical waterfowl season in Alaska. So, Elliot, I know you're itching. You got, you got something specific you want to dive into on this? Yeah, I do. So what I'd like for you to do is start the beginning of your waterfowl season and progress us to the end, and in there talk about the migration as well. So, um, how does it start? When does it start? Like here and where I hunt, you know, we start in September. It's teal. Then the bigger ducks. So we have different waves of different kind of ducks as they come through different times of year. And and so, just what is the whole 
overview of, of waterfowl hunting in your area of Alaska look like? Okay, so waterfowl in Alaska. Alaska is broken up into five different zones. The zone I'm in is, you know, right in the middle. You're allowed 10, 10 ducks per day. The season starts <laughs> um, September 1st. Um, Alaska has 28 different species of duck that reside in Alaska, nest here, and, and, and live here before they fly south. Um, so beginning of the season, September 1st, it's, it's a madhouse. Um, you're, you're watching the weather intently to wait for birds to come through. You'll get your, you'll get your first good shoots out of, you know, resident birds that nested in the area and in the area. And then they seem to kind of clear out the first couple of weeks. And what, and what, what type of birds are we talking here? What, what species are we talking at that time? Uh, we're talking gadwall, um, pintail, widgeon. Um, both kinds of teal, um, lessers, graders, um, uh, nesting all sorts of ducks, pintails. Okay. Um, and these are, these are nesting birds in the area. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. They'll nest in the area and it'll happen. And so do you guys have, where do they nest? Do you guys have, uh, grasslands and, and what kind of, what kind yeah, of habitat in that? Cause I've got in my mind all forest and, and mountains. So I'm trying to like, where would they nest in this area? So Alaska actually has, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the largest wetlands in the United States. I think they're at like 170 million acres of wetlands. Okay. Um, the interior, a lot of it's swamp, surrounded mm-hmm. by huge mountains and tundra and swamp and more potholes. So there's, there's water everywhere. Gotcha. Um, which is, you know, great nesting habitat for all those birds. Um, but like I was saying, the first the first two weeks, you'll you'll blow out all those resident birds and you shoot them up, and you know they take off. And then you're waiting for weather to push everything from the north to the south. Um, and that's really what you're watching, and that's what I watch. I don't know if a lot of guys do it, but I pay close attention to the weather, and I want to be in front of that weather because the birds are in front of the weather. They're being pushed down because of everything freezing up north. And the, the, the wind currents pushing them south, southeast and pushing them through Alaska and out of Alaska as things freeze. Okay. So later September, you're getting different birds in. You're getting all the birds from up north and every once in a while an oddball, you know, like this year I shot a, uh, a long tail, um, hen. I'd never seen one before. Hmm. Totally had me for a loop, but it was, it, it was insanely lost and <laughs> wound up in my decoys. Uh, and so end of September, things are starting to freeze up. Um, more and more birds are just flooding in here and we're talking, there'll be thousands in a day, be here one day, gone the next. So you really want to, this is in October. This is October. Yeah. Early, early, late September, early October. Um, uh, like you're just watching the weather, birds are moving through and you got to catch them as they're here because they're not staying here. They're just, okay. they'll, they'll loaf overnight or for a day or two, and then they're gone. Okay, let me, let me stop here for a second, because I, I want to fully understand and experience this season with you. When you start September 1st, what are, what are your temperatures, average temperatures at that time? You're looking anywhere from low 40s to 60s to, I've even had 70s. Okay, and so then, average 40 to 60-ish, not real cold. So then it goes from there to freezing out in a month in October. 
yes. And it happens. And when it happens, it happens quick. It's, mm-hmm. it's like we don't really have a fall. <laughs> it goes okay. from summer to snow. <laughs> and Bam. so the temperature as you're getting closer to October is dropping. And it's forcing birds, like I was saying, as things freeze up to move out because there's no open water. And so mm-hmm. it can happen. It can happen late. It can happen early. You really don't know. It seems like every season is different. Um, last year, for example, uh, I hunted all the way up to, I believe it was almost November before the water got to a point where it was frozen and there weren't, you know, a, a huge number of birds you will have a few resident birds that will you know find an open patch of spring water someplace and stay there but it's kind of hard to uh go out there when it's 20 below you know kind of thing and hunt ducks Mm -hmm. so do do you have a lot of uh birds kind of stand on the rivers when it gets that cold because it kind of it feels like it kind of stink if your season you froze out like early october you only get like five weeks of hunting you know um I'd say the I'd say the average is probably six to eight weeks of decent on average. Um, you can find birds in December. I've hunted birds in December. It's not great, but there are a few around, just not a lot. And they do they will stick to any open water they can find. Okay, and so mostly you kind of been as far as like interior. We'll leave like the sea ducks and all that. Obviously, it's a little bit of a different ball game. But like, as far as interior, are you guys able to hunt um, geese very much, or, or what's the um, the scene Normally, for that? If I had to, if I had to say, you're looking at cranes and geese. The best time to hunt them is probably the first three three weeks of September. Is is about their time frame. They usually move out first as they're heading south and they, they, they skedaddle, you know, pretty quick. So you get about three good, good weeks. I, I, I think of, of goose and crane. Awesome. And with, with the, with the migration, these birds that are migrating to you, are these just birds that are nesting farther in the Northern Alaska? Yes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking they're at birds. the map here. How do they traverse the mountains when, when they migrate? Are there corridors or do they just go, straight over the mountains or are there like corridors that they funnel through? So I would think migrating uh, over the mountains would be a job. <laughs> some of them, like the, some of the geese and cranes will flow like around the Brooks range and flow into Canada and then down. Some of them uh-huh. come through the passageway from the Brooks range into the interior. And when they come through us, a lot of them like Delta is, is where I live is, is perfectly placed. There's a lot of, agricultural land where they plant barley so it seems like all the birds want to stop here and so there'll be there'll be thousands and thousands and thousands of cranes and and geese just un, un, is, unbelievable amounts of that's north and east of like the yukon charlie the what the the i'm looking at the map here yukon charlie rivers national preserve south of that i believe Okay. I'd have to look at a map as well. Okay. And so they're coming to you. So from how far how far north would they nest? Clear in just the farthest north reaches of Alaska. I mean, they would probably yeah, go, all the some way, birds all would clear up, up to, that far. Oh yeah, they're they're all the way up north. As soon as you get north, I believe of the Brooks Range, 
it really flattens out from what I understand. Now, is that when you say the Brooks Range, like I'm seeing Mount Isto and Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, Gates of the yep. Arctic National Parks and Preserve, is that that range you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That looks like a massive range. Yeah, it's, it's, it's massive. But a lot of them will flow through and, and funnel through and they'll pick mountain passes. And it's quite, the, it's quite the sight to see. So what's it, uh, what's it feel like to kill 10 ducks in a day? <laughs> <laughs> well, it can happen quick or it can take you all day. It's, I love the limit. I mean, I feel, I feel bad for everybody else because, you know, there's, there's places that don't, aren't, aren't afforded that kind of luxury. And for, for us, it's, you know, 10 ducks. Well, in early September, you can't tell if it's a hen or if it's a drake. They're not plumed mm-hmm. out. They all look the same. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you really don't know what you're shooting until it's on the ground and you're looking at it because it's all, everything pretty much looks the same. Um, so it's, it's good in some ways, bad in others. I wish they were plumed out more, but you know, it's, I'm not going to complain. I like to eat them. So, so is your, is your, are hen- there any restrictions on hens? Yeah. No, <laughs> that's crazy. Okay. I did not I know believe that. the only restriction is you're only allowed in that 10, 10 bird limit. You're only allowed like two canvas backs, I believe, but I've never, I've never seen a canvas back where I hunt. So pintails, you can shoot 10 pintails in a day. Yep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh man. New life goal for me. <laughs> Seriously. Ten, a 10 pintail limit. <laughs> can you imagine? Holy cow. That would be crazy. So, so yeah, what I is your best head. bag in a day? What, what would be do you, in your, do you have a day where you're like, I shot like 10 mallard drakes or like for, for me, five mallard drakes and a, and a bull pintail is the, the grand slam for me. That's the best limit that I, and I've shot that a couple of times. Actually, the, this year was the first year I shot that limit. Um, do you, do you have a day where it was just like, this was your ultimate bag of ducks? I had a day last year where I shot some really nice mallard drakes that were plumed out, and that was that, that topped it off for me. Shooting brown ducks is, is great and everything and fun, but there was there was one one day in particular where I I shot I think it was four just stud mallards, mm-hmm. and they were just beautiful birds. And I was just like, dang, I wish I could get a I wish I could get a pintail in here, you know later in the season mm. but they don't seem to hang around very much hmm. so you took us up to october i think and we got sidetracked a little bit because it's just so much to talk about you it starts to freeze in october and yeah. i think you kind of stop from there so progress from that point okay so let's go from october first um weather still not bad um it can get bad but again, you're watching the weather, and then temperature is, is is steadily decreasing as the days go. It's now probably, I, you know, high of of 45, give or take, with a low of maybe in the 20s. And then as uh, October progresses, middle of October, most of the time there's snow on the ground. You got snow on the ground. You're starting to see ice. Um, temperatures are dropping down considerably more. It's you know it's now you know 15 degrees for a low, 30 for a high. 
things are freezing up quick. Ducks are moving out. Um, I spend a lot of time every day out, as, you know, as, as many days as I can out just waiting for birds and, and watching, you know, flocks just dump in and then take off and never see them again. So I had, I had one, I had one morning, uh, last year, uh, this year, actually, sorry, where as I was paddling out to my spot, this is middle October, I'm paddling out, it's pitch black and I was surrounded by, by ducks. And when I say surrounded, I was paddling through them with my <laughs> flashlight and I'm looking around and it, it sounded like a jet all around me taking off these birds these waves were just like just exploding off the water and i got it kind of on video it's not the best quality because i was you know was freaking out because this is the coolest thing i've ever seen and so i'm trying to film it with my spotlight my you know my iphone and i'm trying to but i i can't i cannot express like there was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of birds on this tiny body of water mm. you could have thrown a rock and probably killed five birds it just, it was insane. And so I was thinking, oh, this is going to be the best day ever. You know, it's going to be the best, you know, just because all these birds are here. Like, you know, I think that morning I shot like five or six birds and that was it. They were gone. They never came back. As soon as they took off their, their roost or where they were, they were asleep, they were gone. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Just, that's... just that quick. <laughs> it can so happen that now we're quick. into. Yeah, that quick. And so you're, you know, end of October. So it's only getting worse. It's not getting better. So here's you're, a question for you. To, uh, yeah. I, I hate to derail you off this again, but uh, um, kind of one thing I'm, I'm kind of curious about uh, with daylight in Alaska, um, it's not, you know, the typical thing that I guess we, we duck hunters see um, in the lower 48 just due to the amount of daylight you have um, at, at this part of the year. Like how long is the night? Well, uh, right now we're starting to stabilize. I think it's what it's six fifteen, and I still got a little bit of daylight outside. But as like November, let me back that up. December, January, February, you might only have three hours of dust, not even daylight, just dust. <laughs> so and it's then just... it's dark again. <laughs> Dang! And so... then in the summer, in the summer, it's the complete opposite you might have two hours of dust and then it suns right back up in the sky. You don't know if it's three in the afternoon or three in the morning because it's all the same. So during it's your, crazy. during your waterfowl season, so your days are really short. No, I wouldn't say they're short, probably shorter than most, but I think at that time, our daylight, our um, darkness to the sunlight ratio is probably, I'd say average to everybody else. Okay. Okay. That's kind of what I was getting at. Cause I didn't know with like, I knew daylight was kind of different in Alaska yeah. as far as the timing, but I wasn't sure quite. So you, you still hunt, you know, first thing in the morning for first. Yeah. Ride, you're still getting, kind of you're still getting eight hours, you know, of good daylight. Okay. Yeah. It's not like you get to go out there for, you know, two and a half, three hours and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so yeah, now back back on to November. <laughs> November, if you're really trying to squeak out ducks, um, trying to find open water, most everything's frozen. Um, you're looking at negative 20, give or take. Um, 
it all depends. Every winter is different. Um, it can be absolutely brutal or it can be just mild, but nonetheless, it's really hard to find open water. You might find a few patches here and there, shoot a couple of ducks and that's it. And November 1st is when trapping season starts. So that's when I tail off of chasing ducks and go into trapping. So really you're full swing September and it's winding down in October. Yeah. Yep. That puts a little damper on Alaska. (laughs) Of course, the thing is, it's like, like, (laughs) Like you do, if you live in Alaska, you're not going to only be a waterfowl hunter. Like it's yeah. easy in the Midwest to just be a waterfowl hunter, you know, yeah. but See, now, Alaska, I can back, I can back this up and I can say, okay, so where I live, there's the birds are for the most part, you know, gone. I could drive seven hours to the coast and find birds, mm-hmm. but it's just, you know, I I can't find it feasible to drive seven hours to the coast and to hunt ducks. Yeah. Cause it's a, a, the weather is just atrocious and you're driving through the mountains. The roads are bad. Um, it's, it's terrible. Um, I normally get out at least once normally on my birthday, I go uh, down to Anchorage and hunt with a, a good friend of mine, Randy Moseman. And he runs a, a guide service out of Whittier, uh, Best Shot Alaska Adventures. And I usually get out with him to, to really, you know, chase seabirds around because that's really my only opportunity to do that. So I like to at least do that. So there are other opportunities if a guy wanted to, you know, go the distance and, and go to the coast because the temperature where I'm at versus where they're at could be 60 degrees. Mm-hmm. Wow. It could be night it's night and day different. And that's just going so, east. Yeah. Hmm. Now why is that? With the is that have to do with the ocean or something? Because if, if you're just on the same latitude, why would you get such an increase in temperature just by going east? Alaska is very angry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's you know, it's 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 the way the weather works. I, I couldn't tell you. But I know where I'm at, like uh, this year or last year, rather, we had we had 25 below when I left my house and me and my buddy drove to Anchorage, which is, you know, southeast of us, drove to Anchorage and it was 45 and sunny. Where, you know, as we left Delta and it was 20 below and two feet of snow. And so it's, it's, it's crazy how it can fluctuate like that. But their winters on the coast are nothing like interior winter or up north. Hmm. Okay. This is probably a stupid um, question, but do they, uh, how, how, you talked about the roads being bad. Do they even like have plow trucks out there? <laughs> See, that's another tricky thing. They close down parts of like the Denali Highway. Um, they close that down in the wintertime just because it's not feasible to, to maintain it. Um, you run a risk anytime you decide to drive through the mountains of avalanches, getting 
stuck out there, things can, you know, turn for the worst really quick. And so like one of the things I, you know, tell anybody who's looking to move here or, you know, come here in the wintertime, do, you know, always have winter gear with you. Always have a way or two or three ways to start a fire because Alaska will kill you and it doesn't care. It, it could be bright and sunny one moment and a raging storm the next. It's just you really don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's pretty crazy. Definitely a definitely a different environment out there in Alaska. Yeah, sure. So before we wrap up the waterfowling, where the birds that nest around you, how far south do they go? Are these the birds that end up Titus ends up shooting in California, or do they get that far south? How far do they go? Yep, the birds I shoot up here, I believe, are Washington, California, Oregon, parts of Montana. Okay. Um, actually, a buddy of mine, uh, Levi Carey, sent me a picture of a band that a friend of his, I believe, shot off of a green wing teal that was banned 100 miles from me. <laughs> Down in Wyoming, I believe it was. I could be wrong. But in that area, his buddy had shot it. And I was just like, are you kidding me? That duck made it all the way from Fairbanks, which was where they banned it, which is a hundred miles north of me, all the way to there. That is so cool. 3, 000, that's three thousand some odd miles. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, that's one of the differences for me. I switched over. I grew up hunting pheasant, quail, prairie chicken. That was our main things that we were hunting and shooting. And one thing that allured me to ducks is that distance they travel. It's like they're world travelers, you know. I mean the things that they've seen and the places they've gone, they're just such a wild, wild animal. And that is just so amazing. We shot a snow goose one time that I can't remember. It was Iceland or Greenland. Corn's got the band, but it was banned. It's either Iceland or Greenland. And you know, it's down in no Kansas. Way. And just the thought of that is so cool. It's just such a neat deal. That is just, that's just crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. Insane. Wow. All right. Well, there is there is another topic that I've been itching itching to hear about, and uh, um, you went on a moose hunt. So um, there's some crazy details with that. You want to go ahead and share that story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I went last year, or sorry, last year, this year, 2020, went moose hunting. Flew out, had a great time. Uh, middle of nowhere, had to. <laughs> I actually had to uh, plane a little tiny bush plane that we flew out on. I had to lose 60 pounds so that I didn't max out the plane. Now I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't call myself a big guy. I'm six, three and I normally run about two fifty to two eighty. And at that time I was two eighty eight. And so I had to lose 60 pounds to be able to fly because he couldn't fly me and my gear because I maxed out the weight of his plane. And he couldn't land on the little tiny brush runway that consists of a goat path. <laughs> and so drop the weight, uh, we fly in and where we fly in the middle of nowhere, we're talking, it's no civilization at all. It's middle of nowhere, beautiful place and touchdown. And oh, it's a dog. Freaked me out. <laughs> touchdown. Georgia. And, you know, I'm there for, I was scheduled to be there for 
uh, 10 days and I hunted hard for all 10 days. Didn't see a single moose, no moose to be found. Nothing. I hunted hard, no moose bummed out. Then trying to get out was a whole nother story. Uh, the weather where I was at was beautiful, sunny, you know, 65, 70 degrees where the plane was at, um, 60, 70 miles away was 60 mile an hour wind and he couldn't take off. So I was stuck there and I had planned on, you know, maybe an extra day's worth of food and, you know, but I was there for three days extra and starting to panic. You know, I got a little in reach and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get out of there. <laughs> What's Pretty a, stressful situation. <laughs> I, I kind of generally know, but what, what did you say? You said it was an in reach. Yeah. So explain yeah, exactly those, what that is. It's like a, a satellite phone or something. Yeah. You can text, um, it's just a you know, satellite phone. You get X amount of texts before they start charging you millions of dollars or however that works. <laughs> uh, and so, I was allowed, I think, like 10 texts. And so I was trying to be real careful about, you know, what I was texting, try to be specific of, <laughs> hey, are you coming to get me today? And nope, sorry, can't fly. And like, oh, shoot. <laughs> you know, I'm stuck. <laughs> Another day. So, yeah, I was there for, for three days longer than what I was supposed to be. Um, but, man, when he showed up, he didn't, he didn't uh, uh, send a message in that he was flying in. But he dropped in, and it was a rush. He goes, there's weather coming from the north. We have to leave, and we have to leave now, or you're not leaving for another, you know, another week. Jeez. And so it was just, it was a madhouse. I'm throwing things in the plane. I'm like, let's go, let's go, you know, <laughs> get out of here. So did you go with, uh, like, anybody go with you, or was that like a solo adventure? No, I, w- I went solo. Um I kind of knew the area where I was at is actually the very top of um, what I call my Martin line, my one of my long trap lines. And so I was at the very top of that. So I kind of knew the area I was in, but it wasn't, um, I didn't know exactly what I was getting myself into. I uh, thought for sure. Yeah, that's crazy. Ellie, how comfortable would you be? Someone takes you, puts you in a bush plane, they flies you out, fly you out to Alaska, and you got to stay out there for ten days. And then at the end of it, they're like, "Well, just add three more onto it." <laughs> By myself, Sorry, but we can't, solo. We can't come get you <laughs> solo with That's, with the bears. I think that that definitely gives gives you validity for calling yourself the Alaskan Viking, right there. That's all. It's like, how can you call yourself that? There you go, right there. That's why. Ten make, days, thirteen days make, by yourself. I did make great friends with this massive shrew that was trying to steal my food. It, <laughs> it, he was Boone and Crockett. I'm not kidding. When I this thing was this thing was huge. He was definitely a Boone and Crockett shrew. What's a shrew? Shrews are disgusting. Oh, they're disgusting. Yeah, they're. I, I don't. I, I don't know if I can. They're like a mouse, but they're not like a mouse. Huh. They're like in between a mouse and a mole. They're like a cross between a mouse and a mole. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, that's, that's a, uh, yeah, that's yeah. And so and they stink. I actually thought it was. I I thought it was a bear one night. <laughs> I'm I'm in I'm in my tent, 
And I'm about, you know, you never go totally asleep because you're always listening to the sounds of the forest, wondering if something's going to jump on you. <laughs> and so I'm kind of laying there half in, half out, and I hear all this rustling. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's on. It's game time. That's a bear. That's, that's a bear, you know. So I jump up and I grab my gun and I chamber around and I'm, you know, I'm recon seven here ready to go. And I unzip my tent real slow and I shine my light out and I'm waiting to see a big furry bear right in front of me. You know, that's what I was expecting. And I shine the light out and I pop out of the tent. I'm ready to go. And I'm looking around and there's nothing there. And I was like, well, what the heck? And I look down and this shrew, this massive, massive shrew had my soup can and was making a run for it. <laughs> I can't imagine they're and very the fast. Can, the soup can was as big as he was. He was carrying it. <laughs> he, was, he was running off with that dang thing. He had a hold of it. He was trying to drag it through the through the willows and whatnot. I'm like, you dirty rat. <laughs> Jumped out there, grabbed it. But after that, he kept popping up. I kept feeding him like, you know, odds and ends of scraps or whatever I had. At the end of it, we became pretty good friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jordan, let me recap the beginning of that story. I was out by myself. I'd been there for seven days. I thought a massive grizzly was at my tent. I jumped out to fight it, and it was a shrew. <laughs> yep. Take some balls, a big, man. A big shrew. A, big, a boon and crockett shrew. Not just not a little shrew, a boon and crockett. <laughs> the fact that you were Joe Lowe, man, that, I, hey, if I'm going down, that bear is going to get it. Here we go, bear. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. So I was stoked after, after not seeing any moose, man. I was, I was ready for a bear. I was like, let's do this. So do you ever get oh, over man. that kind of feeling at night, I, like uh, being able to sleep out there? Because I was kind of wondering the same thing. Like, you know, obviously my perspective is a little off. All I've seen is like TV shows and you see people put up like lines for bears to like warn you if they're coming in or, you know, whatever. But it's like, do you ever kind of ever get that peace of mind? <laughs> Sleeping I would out there. say I would say no. Every time I've ever camped out, you know, out in the woods or whatever, I'm always, I don't ever really sleep. I close my eyes and I'm resting. I don't really sleep. Just because you don't know if something's going to walk up on you. Yeah. And I don't trust those, I don't trust those bear fences at all, but I figure I'm going to hear them coming through my tent and I've got a gun. So, <laughs> you know, roll the So do you have, in, in the area where you duck hunt, do you have massive grizzlies? In that area? Uh, I'd say no. I'd say you might see one, but it's not. I'd say, it, it, I'd say it'd be pretty rare. I'd be more worried about a moose, you know, killing mm -hmm. me than a bear. Mm -hmm. I've had I've had cow moose chase me across the lake <laughs> in, my, in my kayak. <laughs> and that is no joke. I don't know what she was mad about or why she was mad, but she you know, pinned eyes on me and she came across that lake and she was swimming right at me. I'm like, huh, well, this is new. <laughs> so now, yeah, so I saw, I saw a chart recently about, um, how many human kills each animal has. And the moose was pretty high up on that list. They're pretty aggressive, aren't they? They are. They, they, you know, like I'd be more worried about being killed by a moose than I would ever a bear. Hmm. Hmm. That's crazy. So, so uh, with the weight limit, though, if you shot a moose, I mean, how do you get that back? He, he flies it out in pieces. 
Okay. We quarter, yeah, we quarter it up and he'll throw, um, like a leg and a rib section in there, fly that out, come back, grab, you know, another leg, another rib section, fly that out, come back, grab a front shoulder and a back strap, fly out, come back. And so that's why he wanted to make sure that I was underweight. So he didn't have to burn any more gas than he had to, to get me out there. Mm -hmm. I could have. I could have gone at 280 and, you know, he could have gone in there and landed and came back and got my gear and flown back and dropped it off. But, you know, he was doing it as a favor for me. So I didn't want to have to, you know, put any more, um, uh, you know, pressure on him to get me out than what was necessary. Yeah, definitely different, you know, different things to think about that we don't have to on a, on a daily basis. So that's pretty, definitely pretty crazy. I'm super intrigued by just the whole Alaska, um, lifestyle experience, whatever you want to call it. But, um, yeah, let's, let's hit up, let's hit up some trapping. I know Elliot, you're, you're kind of curious about that. Um, you know, I'm curious about the wolves is what I'm specifically curious about just wolves in general, like daily life your thoughts about them your feelings about them their ha- their habits trapping them what you do with them after you trap them just the whole gamut i'm i'm super interesting about wool interested in about that topic wolves wolves are amazing animals their their downfall is their predictability the only the only hard thing about trapping wolves uh, is finding them Really, that's that's the only that's the only hard part. There might be only you know five wolves in a eighty square mile area. Wow! Take. You know they they're they're huge runners. They're constantly moving and going and and looking for food and, and this and that. They're they've got a a really strong um, uh, family unit, a pack. You know, as mm-hmm. they call it, that they stay with. And this pack will, you know, run what's called their circuit, their area, their, you know, their, their pattern of, of travel, hunting and, and killing moose and caribou and whatever they can get their hands on, um, and living, living their best life kind of thing. But wolves are pretty intimidating. If you've ever seen one up close and alive, it, they're, they're amazing animals. Um, I love trapping them. Trapping them is, they're probably one of my favorite things to trap. I don't trap a lot of them just because there's not a lot of them where I'm at. Like right now I've got, I've got a wolf set out that I have to check, um, this Sunday. Um, and the wolves haven't been there in almost a month. They came through once and I patterned where they were going and had, I think I thought I hadn't figured out, um, put traps out, got it all, you know, rigged up and damn the back then. Are they going to come back? Yeah. Before season ends? Maybe not. I don't know. They're just, they move so much. You really so two, you might only get one shot at them. So two things. Number one, general population of Alaska, do they have a negative perception of wolves or positive? Sounds like yours is pretty positive. The way you're talking about them, and two, what type There's of trap do you of, use, and how, and how does that work? I use snares mostly. 
they're lightweight, they're easy to use, easy to conceal. Um, I, I find it's a lot easier to catch them with stairs than, you know, steel traps. Um, describe the snare, describe the snare. I think exactly. Lay it out. What is, what is it? How do you set it up? I think, I like, think just like the loop where they around. walk through or, um, everybody says, you know, a, a good wolf is a dead wolf. I believe there's a place for everything. I wouldn't want to see all the wolves gone because in a, I couldn't trap them anymore. Um, I Jordan, think they do need to be managed because if there's too many of them, they absolutely decimate you know, a population of moose or Hello? caribou really quickly. So I think management's key. Um, trappers do a great job at managing wolf numbers um, through through trapping. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of people, I think, in Alaska especially, you know, view trappers as, you know, wildlife management people to, to a, a, a aspect like that. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a, a cool um, animal to be be chasing and and trapping and all that, and um, you know, definitely <laughs> definitely crazy. So something that's totally out of my kind of realm of even thoughts on. So, um, oh, they're they're awesome. Yeah. I, I love wolves. They have that, and they're you know that last wolf I caught uh, this year. That sh- I had it sold before I even got it to the house. You know, it, it was a guaranteed, you know, 350 bucks. So wow. Helped, I lost audio out. for, I lost audio for a second, so I didn't quite hear what you said, but, um, do you, you tan the hides and just sell the hide for that 350? No, what I do is I, I skin them and I flesh them and I dry them. Okay. And so I flesh them or I skin them for what's called taxidermy purposes. So they have, everything's intact. Their claws, their lips, their their eyelids, everything's intact, and it's dried and it's preserved. And then what happened next is, you know, somebody wants to get it mounted, they send it off, get it tanned, and then the taxidermist can, you know, work with it and 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 um, put it on a form and all that good junk. But all I do is uh, skin them and dry them. Colorations not typical. So what's that? What color are they typically? Uh, I'd say the most average color is gray. And then they can vary in all sorts of different colors. I've seen what's called a blue wool that actually looks blue. I'm not even kidding. Hmm. <laughs> um, white to different, all different colors of black, all different uh, colors of, of white and gray and ivory and there's, it, I think the color variation. I think every wolf is unique. They all have their own little um, color variation. Like I caught, I caught one uh, black wolf a couple of years ago that I wish I'd kept, but I didn't. I got got an offer for five hundred bucks for it, so I sold it. <laughs> but it was it was jet black. It was black as black could be, except for the tip of his tail was white. Wow. Oh, and cool. I've never seen a wolf like that before. And it was really pretty, beautiful wolf. But they, they can vary in color to, you know, there's all sorts of different colors they can, they can be. Awesome. 
Well, I think this is probably a, a good place to go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, man, honestly, we didn't even we didn't even touch the whole list we had on here. There's there's a ton of different things <laughs> we could have kept going on. Um, Alaska, you know, on my bucket list. If it wasn't already, it e- it is even more so now. Um, just something about the wild wilderness, you know, just, I, I don't know. There's just something about it. I don't know if I'm going to be as ballsy as you and go out into the bush by myself for 13 days at any point in my life. But <laughs> I think that, uh, no, I think, I think everybody's got to do it at least one. Yeah. At well, one. yeah, yeah. It's a, <laughs> it definitely would be, it would test you as, you know, a person. So, um, kudos to you on that. Um, but, Go ahead, let people know where they can find you across social media or or all all that good stuff on that. Yeah, you can you can find me on on Facebook at uh, the Alaskan Viking, um, Instagram the Alaskan Viking, and YouTube the Alaskan Viking. Awesome, Elliot. You got any last words? Uh, one one more wolf question. I can't help myself. I'm so <laughs> fascinated by. Are they do they ever actually harm humans? I think wolf attacks are very, 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 very rare. But they do happen. Extremely rare. I've heard of one instance in the 20 years I've been here, and they say it's because that wolf was suffering from some sort of, you know, disease. Gotcha. I had to get that one more question in. (laughs) The most dangerous animal in Alaska, I'd have to say, hands down, is moose. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Great conversation. <laughs> Great. I loved it. I loved this conversation. We, we could, we could talk about Alaska for, you know, it's so big and there's so much to cover. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, cover everything like you were saying. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to have you on here again, cover, cover some of these more uh, details and, and different topics, but really appreciate you coming on tonight, man. Um, like I said, awesome, awesome conversation. I learned a lot about Alaska and, you know, I think I think I'll be there someday, hopefully. <laughs> so, well, I I certainly appreciate you guys. Uh, thanks for having me on, and I'm looking forward to you know whatever happens in the future with you guys' videos. You guys are doing great. You're pumping all of our great stuff, and I love watching them. So, awesome. Thank you. All righty, folks. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. And Matt, the Alaskan Viking, and we'll see you guys on the next one.